Welcome everyone to the Business Key Podcast with Ochoco and Debbie. Today we'll look at discussing Pret-a-Manger's decision to scrap drinks. And secondly, struggles on the current rental market. Over to you, Debbie. Yeah, so to start off with the Pret-a-Manger story. So in 2020, of course, as we all know, we were going through the global pandemic. Um, we were under a uh, stay-at-home um order or guidance from the government and as you can imagine uh, many retailers um, saw an impact to their business as a result of consumers uh, changing their habits not being out in public as much working from home more um, and I would imagine that hit uh, the coffee shops um, a great deal because whereas people would perhaps on their way into the office in the morning would grab a coffee or you know at their lunchtime or or what have you um, instead uh, they were at home and so in 2020 I guess as a way to uh, drum up business uh, Pret-a-Manger launched a subscription service where I think at the time it was for £20 a month you could get unlimited drinks and uh, their range of drinks included teas, coffees um, and also smoothies, frappuccinos um, and milkshakes um, I think currently at the moment, um, I think the subscription has been updated um, to where it's now £25 a month. Um, it still includes that full list of drinks plus things like uh, syrups and um, extra shots of coffee. But I think you can now only get five cups of coffee a day and it needs to be at least half an hour in between. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that was the subscription service, which I think when we were initially discussing this behind the scenes, I think Ochika, you were saying that uh, surely I've got the subscription model model wrong because it sounded too good to be true. £25 a month for, you know, five drinks a day, um, three drinks a day, um, you know, with a half an hour gap in between. Um, but I think we're right in saying that you thought, surely, surely we've read that wrong. Yeah, I was looking at the, I was thinking of the profitability. I was thinking, surely that doesn't make sense if you're, if you're giving people five, an, an, uh, the option of having five drinks a day, and I'm thinking of people that some people at work they have at least two, two drinks, two two to three coffees a day. That's true. So I was thinking, okay, I can imagine that times that by five, five days. I was thinking, wow, surely they're making a loss on that. But uh, actually, when we when we looked at it, I think it kind of makes sense. I think when we thought about it. A, a bit further we could see that actually that it's probably sort of similar to a lost leader isn't it so i imagine uh although the drinks are although the drinks are although they although their clients get to have five drinks they get to stay they'll probably sit in there for quite a long time so they're likely to get food with their order isn't it so yeah that's what we're thinking so that way they'll be able to um maybe there might be a high markup on the food perhaps so then they'll be able to make the money back that way. Yeah, so a loss leader in the sense that they're not making money on these drinks by the subscription service per se. However, if you're getting a free drink, you might be inclined to, you know, get a get a snack, get some get some of the, the, the baked goods that are at the front of the store. You might pick up, you know, a salad or a sandwich. And like, like you said, a chico, they probably marked up the cost uh, on those items. Um, also, I think they probably took a punt that uh, the likelihood of every single customer that picks up this sub subscription service actually takes up the five drinks 
every single day it's probably minimal I think, you know, most uh, Pret-a-Manger's, if I'm correct in saying, are probably, you know, maybe in city centres or close to office office buildings. And uh, I think uh, as a result, most people probably would uh, take advantage of this uh, when they were when they would be in the office. And as we know, most people are still um, at, at the most, I guess, you know, working under a hybrid model. If you if you can, of course, there are some jobs where, you know, you can't work from home. Um, but where you can, I, I would assume that, you know, a lot of people are are not going into the office, you know, five days a week. So, you know, they, they are still generating some revenue from this uh, from the service, which is the guaranteed £25 each month. And um, yes, as you said, hopefully it's a loss leader. So people will come into the stores. And, and I think we also discussed, um, you know, there is a lot of competition when it comes to these coffee shops. If you know, if you know, though, that you have this subscription service where you can get a free drink, you know, rather than going to, you know, a Starbucks or a Costa, you know, I, I probably would be more inclined to walk past those shops, even if I had to walk a little bit further and go to a prep because I'm getting a free drink. So you're also instilling sort of brand loyalty into customers. And we thought, you know, if you go to certain supermarkets and grocers, you can see um, branded coffee. Some of the coffee shops have gone into um, creating their own, you know, coffee products and, and you know, for sale. Uh, I'm not sure if Pret currently does that. Uh, if they do, this is probably a way to sort of increase that visibility for customers where they already have the loyalty with their with their drinks and therefore they're more likely to buy their products. And if they don't currently do that, it, it sort of it sort of is an incentive for them to sort of launch into that market and, and be more of a household brand than, than perhaps they were originally. Yeah, that's a good point as well. The other thing I was thinking of whilst you were speaking was perhaps maybe as well, let's say there was Pret across the road and there was maybe Costa in front of you, maybe, you know, on a normal day, maybe, you know, some of the customers might just think, ah, let me just pop into Costa and, and get my hot chocolate or get my, you know, cappuccino or whatever, because um, it's closer, it's more convenient. Um, but as uh, with this, as, you know, some customers will have this loyalty, will be on this loyalty scheme now, um, they're, they're incentivized to make that journey across the road because now, yeah. you know, you're going to save some money to... It makes sense. But I think the other thing as well, I think also is thinking about it as well. Is I suppose if 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 some of the customers also have um, friends or colleagues with them as well, it will also drive traffic as they'll probably tell them about it. So also, uh, you know, drive in that. Uh, so probably free, free advertism in that way. Yeah. But then also, but then also just the fact that, you know, let's say, uh, just back to that Costa example, um, if I'm going to Pret, then it's likely my friend is coming with me to Pret. So I'm also bringing more customers to yeah. to uh, to Pret as well. So yeah. I suppose it's that free marketing also. It's, it's, it's quite 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 clever when you yeah. think about it. It's, that's a really good point because if I knew, if I, you know, with a colleague or with a friend and we want to go for a coffee and I know that I can get a free one, I'm definitely going to encourage my <laughs> friend, like, you know, let's go to the Pret. <laughs> Even if the other coffee shop is closer. No, no, let's go to the Pret because I could get a free drink. So yeah, I definitely think you're right there. So I think, uh, although initially when we were thinking about the loyalty scheme, we thought, is this making sense from a profitability standpoint? When we when we sort of delved into a few of the sort of potential upsides, we sort of thought, yeah, we could see it perhaps making sense. But this then leads to this article that that you saw in BBC News, uh, which is um, which you teased at the beginning, uh, which is about uh, Pret announcing they're actually going to scrap um, the sale of smoothies, um, milkshakes, and frappe frappes from their menu. 
Um, and it was quite interesting because the BBC actually did an expose of sorts uh, where, uh, you know, a lot of they found that a lot of customers who were on this subscription service were actually complaining because whereas, you know, the, the hot drinks plus the colder drinks were supposed to be available on this scheme, a lot of customers were finding that when they were going into pret stores, they were being told uh, that it was unavailable. And when the BBC actually did a survey of some staff at Pret, they admitted uh, that a lot of the times they uh, it, it took a long time to actually make the drinks. There would be long queues and they would feel under pressure to you know serve all the customers. So instead they would say things like the machine is broken. Um, the, the There wasn't an a, a order, so they don't have enough stock um, or that they don't sell the item in their store. Uh, whereas they did and they just did not want to to make it. I think also what Pret found was that these sort of the, the fraps, the milkshakes, the, uh, the the smoothies, they actually have a, a slightly higher margin than, you know, the, the coffees and, and the teas. And therefore, uh, you know, I guess perhaps when doing the costings, they found that, you know, if they are selling a lot of or not selling because, it, you know, it's free under the subscription service. If there is a lot of requests for these items, then perhaps uh, the business isn't making as, as much as much money as they thought from this model. I also had the thought that, you know, with, a, with something like a coffee, you know, it's probably something that you'd want in the morning, you know, maybe just after lunch, perhaps, you know, it, you know, it's probably geared around work. Not to say that people don't drink coffee outside of work, but you can imagine it as, you know, being a, a very much, a, you know, a, you know, um, probably higher sales when, you know, lots of customers are, are going into the office or going into their place of work. Yeah. Whereas something like a smoothie or a frappe, I mean, you can get that anytime. Mm. You know, if I'm going shopping, oh yeah, no, you know, let me go and grab a grab a a, a, a fruit drink. And therefore, um, I can imagine perhaps in the weekends or outside of, you know, business hours, they were probably having to make a lot more of these drinks than perhaps they had, had originally anticipated. Um, and uh, Pret announced that they're actually going to scrap these drinks from their menu uh, entirely um, and I think they've said they're going to replace it with a, an iced you know some ice drinks in the summer um, which is you know sort of their rationale for scrapping it um, but to, to be fair I think the ice the the frap the, the iced fraps have been super popular so you know perhaps they're keeping with the times in some ways but yeah I think you know certainly that would probably be a blow for some of the customers that really enjoyed their um smoothies and so on but um for for pret i think like you said it, it you know since they took a long time to make and the margins on it it's probably not as big it's probably not as big as the making a coffee or making a a, a tea etc so yeah that's probably uh, it, it makes sense for them to to stop doing it but it's uh it's interesting as well the point that you're making as well that actually it probably tends to be the people that are sitting there for quite a long time which are the in which which are the customers they're not making as much money from um the subscription customers they're probably the people that are more likely to so the people that are in there for longer are probably people that are more likely to order the order the fraps and i suppose it's the customers that are coming in that are maybe in a rush uh who are probably more likely to be the um paying customers they're the quote-unquote paid <laughs> so Krishna not paid too but true yeah on, I suppose on a daily yeah on a, yeah. Uh, yeah if you think about it on a daily on basis, a per drink basis yeah, yeah. per drink basis the, the so-called paying customers yeah they they're more likely to get like you said tea or coffee which is a quicker transaction so I suppose yeah for them they want to prioritize the 
the quick transactions or when I make sure that it's a smooth process yeah. to save costs. Yeah, I think a smooth process and to try to keep the, the customers happy in store. But I think there are some lessons that, that possibly could be could be taken away from this. I think um, one, you know, good to think outside the box. So I think the subscription service, you know, so you know, many retailers are sort of, um, I about already have pre-existing loyalty schemes, loyalty cards, or are developing them. And, and they can be beneficial, you know, from a perspective of, you know, understanding customer data, customer habits, um, and what you can do with that data. Also advertising directly to the customer. Uh, like you said, encouraging loyalty um, so that the customer continues to shop at that, at that, you know location because they have a scheme there where either they're getting points or in this case they're getting free drinks you know that there's a benefit to the customer however there, there also has to be a balance with regards to what you communicate to the customer with regards to what what they're getting for this service so i think pret sort of starting off by saying everything on the menu is on is you know part of this service as a customer i would expect everything on the menu is you know part of the service if they had started the service and said this only includes teas coffees you know where you can get extra shots of caffeine you can get extra shots of, of syrup i think there still would have been an uptake for this and i think you know and hot chocolate as well i think there still would have been an uptake and it probably would have been popular but they wouldn't have this level of complaints it's because they they had these lofty expectations of you know whatever you like you know so to speak with regards from a drinks perspective pretty much is is on offer but then the reality was you know it wasn't that you know you got the complaints from customers you get the negative pr where you can imagine some people out of frustration would say i'm not shopping here again i'm going to a different retailer you've lied to me i felt misled etc etc uh so there is sort of this negative payoff then where you know you you've, you've offered the service that you have not you have not been able to commit to um and um whereas as we said earlier Pret started the scheme you know it was unlimited and it was 20 pounds a month then they changed it to you know five drinks in a day um for 25 pounds a month perhaps they should have maybe at an earlier point before these complaints came in rethought about you know uh what they were offering rather than as some customers think being hoodwinked they, I mean, the customers you know some customers you know perceive it in that way whereas you know it, it was still being advertised as all of these drinks were available but in their experiences for many customers that wasn't the case um, so I guess there's a lesson there in sort of managing expectations, what you're advertising to customers and sort of constantly reviewing this as well. It's not just sort of thinking we've got a great product, we've got a great idea, that's fine. But actually even speaking to your your barista, speaking to your, you know, the people that work or, you know, like you said, many of them probably, you know, they, they don't they don't want to make these drinks as part of the subscription service because of the length of time it takes and the disgruntled customers. So having that dialogue, you know, with the people that, you, you know, your, the, your employees and also monitoring your communication, I think is really pivotal in business to ensure that you're, you know, continuing to deliver a good, you know, service and, and offering to your customers and that you reduce the amount of, of complaints and negative publicity. That's a very good point you're making there. So effectively what you're saying is you're talking about, you know, when we're trying to create a new product or a new um, extra, uh, yeah, an extra, an extra product in business, really gathering feedback from the people, from the people that are, uh, doing doing the day to day, that are that are in the trenches, so to speak, to really be able to tailor the offering and make it even better. So that really makes sense. Um, but at the same time, is maybe in some ways it's good that they listen to the to the um, no doubt complaints from the baristas and so on. To so and now they've decided to 
to improve that, the that, offer. So. That's all the negative publicity uh, from the BBC. <laughs> yeah, plus the yeah, plus the negative publicity. So yeah, um, so yeah, interesting stuff there. And uh, is there yeah. anything, any other points you wanted to make on the story? Or? No, just uh, if you have any thoughts uh, to this, if you you know if you have any any comments if you're part of the subscription service uh let us know your thoughts how, how have you found it um have have you found yourself sort of making additional purchases of uh, of you know food and snacks yeah, have you found yourself bringing friends along to pret you know staying in pret's for longer um yeah let, let, let us know your thoughts yeah so this brings us nicely on to uh the, the second topic that we wanted to discuss so i think Achuka, you you mentioned that you you saw an article about the the rental market if you could just summarize uh, what you read for us and then we can delve into our, our topic. Yeah, so effectively it was a BBC journalist and she was living in a, a rental accommodation uh, in a one bedroom one be- one bedroom flat in London. And well, she described it as a shoebox sized <laughs> flat. So you can imagine it would be very, very small. And what she said was that she, uh, a landlord had recently increased the rents by about 30%. I'm sure many many of us can many of us can relate as you know during the housing crisis there's quite a lot of people that have had um their their rents also increased as well by quite a large amount. So she was saying that she so what she decided to do was to have a look around to see if she could find basically a cheaper house a uh, cheaper cheaper house to rent. So she was. She went to about twenty to thirty properties, and what she saw was that a lot of the prices were quite similar. So it was around one, about I think it was it was around one thousand six hundred and fifty was the was the rental price. So a lot of the houses that she was seeing was uh, for rents or flats for rents were similar similar price. So she was really really struggling to to find um, a rental property, um, and there were from what from what she was saying, there was a lot of people coming to the view some of the viewings as well. So she can really see that a lot of people were in a similar, uh, similar place, really struggling with the re- rental amounts and really struggling to find alternatives as well. So it really just made me think that actually, you know, how you know in terms of the rental market, rent rent versus buy, is is buying better than renting? Is renting better than buying? What what are your thoughts, Debbie? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question, and as you mentioned right now in the uk we have a cost of living crisis and as a result it has affected uh, many different aspects of of life really so from from rentals from from rent cost to uh, the cost of groceries to the cost of energy um and um just just living in general um there has been incredible uh, impacts as a result and uh, yeah as you as you were saying you know it must be very distressing for a lot of people out there who are who are trying to rent and, and i think one potential uh you know negative with regards to renting is the short-term nature of it um so you know tenants tend to sign i think is it you know one year tenancy agreements maybe two years in some cases which creates a level of instability uh, because after that rental period elapses as what happened to this journalist you know your rent can be increased and it because it can increase at a rate you know higher than your wages have increased, or you know greater than what you know other dis- income you have left over, and therefore it might mean you're displaced because you can't afford that property anymore. Whereas arguably with purchasing a home, 
uh, you have a uh, you could you possibly might have a mortgage which might have a bit more uh, uh, of a fixed term in nature not not always but it can be uh, and therefore you might have a little bit more certainty uh, with regards to you know the amount of money that you might be paying for your mortgage also that this is your home you know this is your place to stay you know I've heard of some people um, remortgaging their properties from let's say a 25 year mortgage to a 40 year mortgage uh, which you know essentially means that they can keep their mortgage costs at a relatively low level although in the long run they'll end up paying more uh, arguably but it means that they can stay in their property so I think that's one aspect you know from that stability perspective you know buying might be more beneficial than renting that makes sense I suppose the other thing is like you said the deposit you know is just quite a stumbling block it can be quite high and of course, with the super high interest rates at the moment, how how much are we talking? Is it four percent, four percent, five percent, around four five percent at the moment? Yeah, Bank it's of, quite high. Yeah, Bank of England, Bank of England interest rate. So, yeah, in the UK, super super expensive at the moment. But yeah, like you said, although yes, the actual rent might be uh, the actual rent might be comparable to what people are paying for mortgage, but. I suppose when you consider the extra costs, like things becoming damaged, the roof getting damaged, you know, or, you know, worst case scenario, the roof getting damaged or the, you know, boiler breaking down as worst case scenario, you know, that that will fall on the buyer's lap, so to speak. So they also have, you know, the increased responsibility, the maintenance cost that comes with owning a property. So it's not, I suppose it's not, it's not, it's not completely like for like. And yeah. No, that's a very fair point. So if you're renting, typically, you know, the the outlay, it might be the first month's rent, it might be a damage deposit. And that's about it. You just pay your rent each month. If there's an issue, you call the landlord, the landlord should uh, repair the issue or, you know, seek reconciliation with the issue. And that's that. You, you just pay your rent and you go on your way. If you buy a property, although, you know, yes, as we mentioned, you might be able to stay in a property for longer, but you also, in most cases, have to put down quite a hefty deposit which, you know, in some cases can wipe out someone's, you know, uh, uh, savings. Uh, you may want to renovate the property when you move in. You may have to buy new furniture when you move in. Depending on the type of property, you might have, you know, service charges, ground rent charges, you know, plus then you have the mortgage payments. And like you said, if there's an issue, the roof caves in, the boiler breaks down, That that's a huge expense. Um, that all falls on you because you are the landlord, you own the property. Um, there's nowhere for you to turn, a set, you know, ostensibly, you know, uh, you know, um in the first on the first instance you know it, it all falls on you whereas you know as a renter you don't necessarily have those additional costs or additional responsibility so i think like you said that probably then favors um buying in that instance i mean renting in that instance sorry yeah that makes sense yeah so i think when we were sort of discussing this story we we're sort of thinking you know uh how can we make this as you know super as relevant as possible for the business key podcast and I think then we started to to think about, you know, how do we look at, you know, home home buying? You know, is it an you know, is it an asset, is it a liability? And I think there is sort of like a, a long standing argument with regards to this to this to this subject. What are your thoughts? Would you do you think home ownership, would you consider that as an asset or would you consider that as a liability? Maybe you can explain. Yeah, so for me I think a house in general would be an asset. You know, for example, you know, if you were launching a new business you could you could use the business as you can use the house as collateral for the so collateral by collateral we mean basically using it so in case the business doesn't do well then the bank can 
repossess the house. So effectively, the house is it's a bit like a bargaining chip in that way. So in some cases, you could say it's a it's, it's an asset, but I suppose for most people. I'm not sure, to be honest. <laughs> it's sort of an argument both ways. I'm not sure. I think most people will probably say it's an asset, but I sort of I understand that argument saying it's it's a it's a liability if you know you're not really making any money from it and you're just just paying off the mortgage. So yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think I'll sit on the fence on that one. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's fair enough. And I think at different times, I think I've had different schools of thought on the on the topic. So I definitely can see why you know there is the argument and why one can be sort of in the middle on it uh, but I guess you know different ways people have presented it is that you know like you said if you have a home um, it is something that you, you own I think if you think about you know a financial statement a balance sheet property typically is classed as a long-term asset which means that it's not bringing in you know short-term or immediate you know uh, gains or, or income but eventually it will do I think that's the um, the way that it is looked at is eventually it will do and I think for most people and uh, most people's situations, when they've purchased a home, there is a growth in the value of the property over time. So over a period of time, in general, there tends to be what we call capital appreciation. So where the original you know, value of the property that you, you, you purchased the property at, you know, in 10 years time or 20 years time, the value in most cases would have increased. So therefore, you you know, you've generated, you know, a, a gain for yourself to where you had initial investment, you know, you've now made more money from the property. I think the issue with thinking about it in this way is that many people approach purchasing property. Uh, they, 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 there's this term that we often hear about, which is called the property ladder. And I, I think the way I look at that is a lot of people sort of think I'll get on a property ladder by purchasing a property. You purchase a property, you're on the ladder. A lot of the times people buy what they can afford, which might be a smaller home. It might be, a, you know, a home that is not as expensive as others. But what happens is over time, you might make more money. You might have more savings. Also, if the value of your current house appreciates, you might be able to leverage that in order to buy a bigger home. So whereas, you know, this whole idea of this long term asset, you sell your property, you, you know, you have this gain. You've, you've instead taken this property and you've now used it to purchase a larger property. And with this large property may come higher mortgage. It may come with higher expenses. It may come with, you know, you know, the income that you're making from your job or whatever you're doing. You're using that to pay off your mortgage. You know, you're, you're using your income to pay off the expenses from your property. In that way, the property has become a liability because it's not generating money from you for, for you sorry it's taking money away from you so the money that you make from whatever you're doing your day job your 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 side hustle your uh, your own business is now being siphoned into an expense of your property however i think this is not the case where you purchase a home for investment so if you purchase a home for investment the idea is you might have tenants that move in which pay a, a rental income and that rental income can then be used to pay off your mortgage. It can also, you know, profits from the rental income can be used to pay off your home where you live if, if your tenants don't live with you. Um, also, you can buy a property and, and you can sell it. And if you sell it for a profit, then you have then 
you know, turned this asset, you know, turned this property into a true asset and it's generated this money from you, uh, for you, sorry. So I definitely, you know, would say that, you know, property is a, it's a good asset class. It's a, it's a good, it's a good thing, but it's just one to think about. And particularly in, you know, difficult times such as, such as now with the cost of living crisis, it's just a good point to sort of sit and reflect on the costs that are involved, your lifestyle, you know, what, what is important to you? Is it knowing that you have a, a place for the long haul? Is it generating money? Is it using your property as collateral for, like you said, a business loan or for a business? What, what are your aims? And from that, that should help inform your decision with regards to whether to buy or whether to rent. Yeah, I think you're raising a great point. It really depends on the, you also got to take into account, you know, where the, the position of the listeners as well, because like you're saying, um, in terms of um, how, how, how the property might be used, um, also, if you think about some people with children, perhaps getting into a good catchment area, yeah. you know, super important, you know, in terms of getting the right school that they would like the, the children to go to. So, yeah, definitely it depends on the, but that's not to say that one can't rent or buy, I mean, you can rent and still get into a good area and you can buy and still get into a good area. But it's just to say that actually, you know, got also consider those factors as well when you're thinking about, you know, how to, how you're thinking about the, the property, whether you want to rent or buy, so... Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Any other points you want to add? Did you want to mention the Kiyosaki? Oh, you don't want to mention it. Oh, um, how will I lodge that in? You could just say you could just say there was this author. You don't have to say his name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there was this. There was. No, I can say his name. Okay. There, there was the author. Oh, also, also another point I just wanted to uh, put out there. There was the author of the of the book. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Yeah, just another point. There was a... Just another point. There was the author of the book, Richard... Richard. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. (laughs) Just another point. There was... Just another point. There was the author of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, Mr. Kawasaki. I'm not sure if that's his name. Kawasaki or Kayozaki. Apologies if I've said his name wrong. But yeah, he was saying that, uh, interestingly, that it was a really good book about, um, certainly recommend it if you haven't read it yet, uh, just about, you know, how to utilize your money um, to get the best out of your money. And just in terms of mindset of the poor and the rich. But he was he was talking about how uh, how he believes that houses are liabilities. However, he is a landlord and... and, and oh, I said it wrong. <laughs> There was also uh, just another point I wanted to make was the author of the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because the first time I said that, I just I just rolled off the tongue. Just rolled off. This time I'm like, don't don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. You're yeah. trying to think of the point that you made. Yeah. Don't overthink it. Just just roll with it. Yeah. There was also the author of the. There was also the. Author another another the point. Author of the book, rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> So another point in terms of so another point there was also uh, an author called Kawasaki I think his name is Richard Kawasaki he's the Robert. author of Robert Kawasaki yeah so just another point there was also the author Mr. Kaw- Richard Kawasaki Robert Kawasaki <laughs> 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 
لو اسي لو اسي اوسكار كافيل So yeah, there was also uh, there was a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad, and the author. So Rich Dad Poor Dad, if you if you haven't read it before, so that is like a self development book. Robert Kiyosaki, Kiyosaki. I'm not sure I'm saying his name correctly, but anyway, what he was saying was that he considers houses to be liabilities, and he was actually encouraging people to rent rent houses. Now, the interesting thing is. He's actually a homeowner himself. He owns many properties, and he, he, uh, and he, yeah, he's a landlord for many properties. So people actually rent to him. So I don't know if he was just trying to encourage people to uh, rent so that he can, you know, cash in. Or anyway, I'll leave that to you. But it was, yeah, that's that's how he feels. He he feels that it's a liability uh, because it's not bringing in, bringing in money. Is what he said, but maybe, perhaps, maybe what he meant was if it's if it's just one house, it's a liability. Exactly right. So perhaps uh, what he was was meaning was that you know if you do have just one property, which is the home that you live in, um, he probably would advise against that because he would deem that as a liability because your you know it becomes a, a source of you know an expense for you, your income you know goes into uh this property and therefore becomes an, an outflow of, of money uh, it's an expense but perhaps uh if you have investment properties uh, he he sees it differently um and you know it now becomes a you know source of income so but like you know like you said it's a very you know interesting topic there's lots of schools of thoughts uh there arguably isn't one right answer uh but you know as we were saying it probably just depends on your circumstances and what is right for you but we'd be we'd love to hear your thoughts you know we'd love to hear you know uh what your opinions are on a topic so uh please reach out and let us know that's all for today so this was brought to you by Ochoko and Debbie from the Business Key podcast we'll see you next time see you